This is Nina, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. From a sound of thunder. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to your weekly dose of that which we call Focus on Metal. If you notice, we did open the show this week with an ID from Nina from A Sound of Thunder. Having so much fun doing her King Diamond impression that uh, she has to be reminded to uh, say what band she's from. And you're probably wondering why. And no, we don't have Nina or anybody else from A Sound of Thunder on the show this week. But uh, beyond the fact that they've uh, been great friends to the show and they are a pretty damn kick-ass band, I did want to take a few minutes to let everybody know that their 10th anniversary album, Parallel Eternity is currently a campaign on Kickstarter. And if you are listening on a release day of this show, then you have got uh, five more days to go. Yep, the campaign closes on November 25th. And this is a killer new album. Great concept from these guys. You know, every album these guys do is something different, but it's always awesome. And this time they are really kicking it up with a, uh, a double album of orchestral metal. That's right. And if you want to hear a little bit of that, you can, of course, go up to kickstarter.com and search for A Sound of Thunder and find uh, Parallel Eternity, the 10th anniversary album. And they've got some good stuff up there. And uh, they've been working hard with the Brad Charles of Magic Giraffe Soundworks to create this just insane album. If any of you are familiar with the stuff that uh, Sound of Thunder does up on Kickstarter, they do a great job with all of the uh, the different pledge levels of things, as well as during the campaign, doing stretch goals, and the stretch goals are pretty kick-ass as well. So uh, like I said, go up there, check that out. Lots of cool stuff. I mean, for uh, for 25 bucks, you know, talking about a Legion of Thunder 10th anniversary t-shirt, the standard digital album, the uh, digital deluxe booklet, and also, of course, the old backer-only updates. And it just goes up from there. You know, you've got the Honored Heroes pledge level, which, uh, you know, you get your name in the credits. And, uh, you know, again, just, I said, go up, go up there, check out all the different stuff there. And if you're, uh, if you're new to a, a Sound of Thunder. They have got a great one for you at 100 bucks or more. They've got the discographer, which gives you the entire CD discography plus Blu-ray and all the other cool stuff that they've got on that little package. Good stuff if you want to get everything from ASOT all in one deal. And then if you're a comics fan, because for the last few albums, they have been involved with Valiant Comics. They've also got a Get Valiant pack as well which has got a whole different merch pack, all kinds of good stuff there. And, uh, you know, they're also, these guys are, you know, they're, they're true, true metalheads. So they've even got some great comic stuff in the work this time. They've got an Iron Maiden version of one of the uh, reward comics coming out. So again, head up to kickstarter.com, look up A Sound of Thunder, and check out Parallel Eternity, the 10th anniversary album. And as I said, if you're listening to us on release day, you've got five more days to go. Campaign closes on November 25th. So now you're asking if you don't have anyone from A Sound of Thunder on this week, then uh, what the hell is your guest this week? 
And I'm going to tell you, it is Dean Roberts from Leatherwolf. That's right. Uh, Dean's been in the band. He was in there right pretty much in the inception of the band way back in uh, 81. He played from 81 to 89. Uh, and then the band kind of did nothing for a while. And he popped back in again. And he has been uh, rocking out the drums once again with Leatherwolf from uh, 1999 right up until today so as i mentioned yeah these guys have been uh, been doing it for a long time came out of huntington beach california that's right bob nalbandian territory way back in 1981 and they've pretty much been doing it except for a brief hiatus ever since that time and i gotta say i always liked the name leather wolf that was one of those things you read that name on an album and it's just one of those names like iron maiden it just it grabbed you so this week, Richie's got a long chat with Dean all about some Leather Wolf history, as well as the lineup changes they've had recently, and they've got a new vocalist in the band, they've got new music in the works, and Richie's going to go through all of that and more with Dean Roberts this week. And, you know, Richie's has been on an anniversary kick or a roll, or whatever you want to call it, lately for about the past four or five months. And uh, this week, no different because uh, 1989 is when their classic album Street Ready came out. And of course, that means, you guessed it, anniversary year for that album. So of course, Richie is going to be talking to Dean about uh, what was going on with that album. So now that I have set your expectations impossibly high, why don't I turn over to Richie and Dean Roberts of Leatherwolf. So I'm not going to get into why Michael left. You've, you've addressed it a few months ago, but I do want to ask, did you sit down at any stage after that happened and think, you know what? I think we should maybe not do Letterwolf anymore. There's been too many lineup changes, and now Michael is left for the second time. Um, uh, yeah, but see, to me, that's going to just depend on the record labels. If, if um, I mean, uh, I always wanted to um, just make music and play, and I always wanted to do it with the original guys. But if if things don't work out from friendship wise and and business wise and music wise, then you know everyone goes their own separate ways. You know. Hmm. How many? And if, if it turns out, if it turns out that um that this doesn't appear or sound like Leatherwolf and doesn't work, then it's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about finding a new singer, Dean Keith. The song I've heard is amazing. Um, we were writing with Mikey and writing with Pat, and 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 things were just not moving. So I just kind of um. And Mikey, he really wants to do his own solo project and he wants to do his own thing. And he's really not so much into uh, singing heavy metal, you know, and plus he's getting older and he's got other things to do. So um, I just started going, you know, I'm just going to look around to see if anyone's, you know, interested in doing something. So I made um, one phone call and this kid came over that night and, and bam, there it was. And then um, the management um, started looking for some other name guys that were interested in the gig. But once um, once I just heard it, it just sounded cool. And I'm just like, wow, what a trip that, you know, someone right around the corner and one simple phone call led to this happening. And I just thought, you know, maybe that's just what's supposed to be, you know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dean, how, how old is he? He's 24. And is he familiar with Letterwolf? He had no idea who we were. He's just a metal fan, is he? 
yeah, he's just uh, he plays in a different band, and um, and he's friends with some of the previous guitar players that we were using as villain guys um, for shows, and um, so they were friends. But I didn't know that at first, you know. I just I found that out after the fact, you know. Hmm. And and it was just pure luck, dude. I'm telling you, it was just pure pure luck. I was dealing with uh, uh, another guy who was showing me some tricks about uh, superior drummer. And um, I just said, hey, you know any singers local that that are good? And then he popped up these two guys, and I just go, I like his voice. So I didn't think he was going to like it, because they were way more new school um, progressive metal, which is not like level. But uh, once he came and did it, he just goes, he liked it. So what what song did you get him to sing when you brought him in? Um, it was uh these songs I don't know if, if any, probably you probably haven't heard is one was called the mask and one was called uh the, um probably we start off with kill the hunted because I had written the words and the melodies and the song um, at that phase before Jeff came in and did the lead section and before Robbie came in and started working on the ending and um. And then he came in and he just changed the melodies and the verses and, and we just thought it was super cool. Yeah. Were you looking for someone to sound like Michael? No. Um, I, I, when I, when, when I think about music, I just think about, you know, somebody that, you know, can express themselves and make their, you know, um, performance like uh, something that's alive and a piece of who they are, you know? I, I never try to, to you know, get guys to be somebody they're not, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Dean, tell me who else is in the band now besides you and, you and Keith? Um, Paul Carmen, uh, Rob Math, um, uh, Joey Tafoya, and Jeff Gare. Okay. So you still have three guitarists? Yeah. So it's a, it's a six-piece, is it? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, because I was just look, wondering because, uh, you know, when Michael gone and I didn't know whether Keith played guitar at all, would you be back to a, a two-guitar attack, not a three-guitar attack? No, I just started thinking about it, and um, I kind of wanted to, um, you know, since everyone else left, I kind of wanted it to be a higher-level guitar world, you know? Maybe we can get some guys that are um, a little bit more at the upper level of playing, you know? And Robbie is, and Jeff freaking, you know, is smoking, and Joey Tafoya, you can just look at all the stuff he's done. He's just a freaking legendary dude. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, do you, you know him? Yeah, I know Joey. He's. I think he played with Graham Bonnet recently as well. Yeah, but he's played with everybody. Every, man. I know, I know. He's a, He's a. Yeah, he's one of these in-demand guys, so you know he's good. He's just a... He's just a really good guitar player. Yeah. So, 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 you know, so I started going, well, I, 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 if I'm going to do this and we're going to try to be a leather wolf and we're going to, I mean, if we're going to be a leather wolf and we're going to be a triple axe, let's see if we can maybe, you know, bring it up to a higher level, you know? Mm. I mean, no, 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 no insult to Carrie or to uh, Mike. I just was trying to think about, um, 
you know, to honor that triple axe attack legitimately, you know? Yeah. So Dean, tell me about recent shows. Um, have you done any shows in 2019? Uh, no. Okay. I, um, I had surgery and, uh, and then, um, we had this, these, uh, things that we couldn't work out between, um, me, Mike and Carrie and, and, um, we just started working on, on the record and trying to get a record deal to see if we could, uh, you know, move forward under Leatherwolf and to see if anyone was interested in, you know, doing it. Yeah. And, and so we just concentrated, uh, this year on just trying to write a record, which will be done with, uh, you know, this year, you know? Yeah. So Dean, how difficult is it now for a band like Leatherwolf? Because, you had some success in, in, in the late 80s, but you didn't actually have massive success. And even even bands from the late 80s that had, had bona fide hits, they find it difficult now to go out on an extensive run of shows, particularly in the US. Um, it, it seems to me that the European market is definitely the market for you guys, but to actually get a run of shows over there where you go on a bus and go on a tour, like that seems to be, would that be difficult for you guys anywhere in the world? Well, it's slim to none, baby. Slim to none. Slim to none. So it's what, yeah. it's just festivals in Europe now really are where you want to be, is it? Well, uh, you know, if everything works out with with uh, the label we want, then we're going to get picked up by uh, a real booking agent. And plus now we got the guys that can actually go out for a month or two and, and play a run of shows you know, and actually do it. Yeah. Cause I was, you know, it was, it, it was, it was hard before for the last 10 years because, you know, everyone's got a day job, you know, and everyone's got a marriage and everyone's got stuff to do. So that's, that's the priority that that's before live shows, you know? Mm-hmm. So I know Joey is still in the music business. Um, what about the rest of the other guys? Do, do they have day jobs that are outside the music business? Yeah, even Joey has a day job outside the music business. Oh, does he? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he's a, he's a, he's an entrepreneur. Okay. <laughs> none of us none of us are living off music, man. I mean, even me. You know, I got a roofing company, and uh, you know, I just you know invest in in, in getting things done. You know. Mm-hmm. So tell me about writing the new album, Dean. Uh, I know you put the single out there, The Henchman, which is, I think it's a great song.
why that one first? Was that just the first one you finished? Well, uh, it was a personal thing for me. You know, because I, I, pers- I, I, I personally wrote, like, uh, um, Killed Hunt, you know? And um, I just did some arrangements and some vocals, and, and the ending, I, ending part of of, uh, of Kill the Hunted, I mean of of the henchman. But actually, in reality, that 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 um, the henchman was a Jeff Gayer song from from like 1982, and um, so I started thinking about what 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 do I want to do, you know? And I started thinking about you know the calling and hideaway. And, and I started thinking about the songs that I wanted singles to be in. And, and I didn't want those those to be it. Not that I d- disliked those songs. I just wanted it to be like, you know, maybe a Thunder or maybe a Rise or Fall or just something a little more on the heavy, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I kind of felt that, you know, you know, Jeff's talent should be known. You know, the stuff that he personally... You know, did you know so it was kind of like that uh, for me and so i started instead of thinking my the song that i did i just said you know i, I think that the henchman is much more of a legitimate version of what i think leatherwolf should have been hmm. um did you did you go back to any other old ideas for for the new album or is everything else fresh um well we have some other ideas and works for previous the other stuff we're working on but you know, you got other writers, and and you got um, um, Jeff, who's just a freaking writing machine, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, we we started doing just newer stuff, you know, like um, like uh, well, you haven't heard the songs yet, have you? You only heard the henchman, huh? Just the one. Yeah. So there's some other songs that are super cool <laughs> that you know Jeff Jeff wrote that I I just really like, and then I wrote some words and some melodies and some uh some arrangements, you know, mm-hmm. I've always been a Jeff Gare fan, you know, I've always just liked how he plays and how he writes. It's, it fits into what I, how I imagine music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even Robbie Matt, you know, he's another guy that, uh, you know, he puts in his little, you know, 10 cents or whatever it is. And his pieces, which are just really make it better, you know? And once you hear these songs, you, you can, you can get, give me your opinion, but He's just another super cool guy that just, to me, kind of meshes really well with Jeff Gare. And is um, is Keith going to write any of the lyrics, or are you guys going to write them? No, he 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 wrote those lyrics for the henchman. Okay. I mean, um, you know, me and Jeff did part of the first verse, and and then he wrote the rest. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, and and me and Jeff uh, and Robbie kind of liked what he did. You know, so we're saying, finally, you know, cool. We don't got to do it. Someone else can. Okay. <laughs> All right. You know, because I'd rather just play, honestly, dude, I'd rather play drums, and if I have an idea and it gets accepted, I'm good. Okay. Hang on one second. Sure. So, yeah, so he... Keith is a legitimate songwriter and a legitimate singer. And I think that um, he has the potential, you know, to go a long way. Um, what What's the biggest crowd he's performed in front of? Because if he's going to be doing the festivals in Europe next year, he's going to be performing in front of thousands of people. 
Um, he's more. Uh, I don't know if he's he's playing for a big crowd yet. You know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I really haven't asked him. I was I wasn't really thinking about that stuff. You know, we're gonna um, when we start getting prepared for the the European you know run, we're gonna um, just go into rehearsal and just you know design the show and and um, just see see what his ideas are. You know about entertainment. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So Dean, before I get into Street Ready with you, um, I do have a question about uh, World Asylum and New World Asylum. And I've been wanting to ask someone in Letterwolf this for years. Um, okay. When you did New World Asylum with Michael and re-recorded the whole record, looking back now in hindsight, do you think it was a mistake not writing some other songs and maybe adding them to them rather than just doing the whole record again? Um, if I had it all over to do again since I funded that stuff and I did all that stuff on my own, except for the recording and, uh, and playing of all the other instruments, I, I wouldn't do it again. Okay. You wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't, you, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, um, go let Mike Oliver participate in, um, something that was done that he had nothing to do with. Yeah, it just, when it came out, it was, to me as a fan, it was like, it was a bit of a head scratcher. I was like, I've heard the other album, and now it's just like Mike singing on top of it again. I, I, that that must have been a reaction he got from a lot of people, was it? Well, the, the, see, the thing was this, is um, I, I spent a lot of money in trying to keep Leatherwolf afloat and get it going, you know, and even over the, um, you know, 2002 to 2005, me and Jeff were, 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 were just trying to get those Carrie and Mikey to play and they just they 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 just um had other commitments and they just didn't you know they they had other things they had to get done so they couldn't participate you know so so when we found way and we did it and then um you know two weeks after it came out he he said um he didn't want to do it anymore we're like scratching our heads well shoot we got this record and um, we can't tour it because, or go promote it because the singer doesn't want to play in the band anymore. You know, so it's kind of like, well, what are our, what do we want to do? And and me and Mike were talking, and and um, I don't recall if it was his idea or mine. Um, we just decided to uh, re-record it and then go out with the original guys, and then um, you know, Mikey came in and he freaking just belted it out and he did freaking killer i thought yeah he did i love the album it's great yeah but um but at the end of the day um i just think mikey's kind of grown out of metal and i really think that mikey uh honestly would rather be in a blues band or you know kind of like a great whitish type of band or something that i think that's where his heart is and so i think he he just did that as a one-off you know and I, I don't even think he he he, he would even want to, you know, sing that type of music anymore. You know, from what me and him have, have talked about, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 Dean, let's let's get back into uh, into Street Ready, and I'm going to say something. You know, you don't you don't know who I am, but I actually sent this to you earlier this year, and you got it signed for me. So, thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> hey, no what? No what, dude. Gotta support the team, man. Mm-hmm. So, 
Tell me how you got signed to Island Records, because when, when I look at that label, uh, it's not really known as a metal label. They had Anthrax on it, but other than that, it was like U2 and, and, and bands like that. Um, well, we were dealing with Jennifer Perry and Tim Heine, and um, we did a show at the... What was it called? It was called... Uh, I can't believe I forgot. What were the main clubs in Hollywood? It was Roxy... Troubadour. Do you remember those clubs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What were the other ones? What's the ones that closed down that turned into a different name? It's not the Starwood, is it? No, that was before. Okay. Um, you know, it was, an, it was an Italian dude that owned it. Oh, you're putting me on the spot now. I can't think of the name of it. I know the, <laughs> I know the well, one you're talking it, it about. Was, it was right next to the, it was right next to the Rock, Roxy and, and um, the Rainbow. And we did a, we did a gig there. And some people from Ireland came, and they just decided to uh, to do to do the other one. Okay. And so it was it was kind of a management thing uh, that they put it all together and made it happen. Okay. And you were happy to be on a label like that. Like, was there other labels sniffing around as well? Honestly, dude, I had no idea about that aspect of the business, and I didn't really think it through thoroughly. You know what I'm saying? I didn't think about. You know what? What? How is Leatherwolf gonna, you know, get some visibility to to get some credibility? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so so now that I go back, I mean, you, you know, I would have much rather been on a smaller label that has metal acts that can, you know, put us in front of people. Mm. So at least we can see if our music is going to catch on and if we can stick. You know. Yeah, I, one of the things I find when I speak to a lot of guys from back then is they just wanted to get signed, and and. Maybe in some ways it was a mistake that they took the first offer that was given to them from a label. That it was like, oh, wow, this label wants us. Uh, yeah, we're going to definitely sign. And then once you get into it and, you know, the contract comes back to bite you in the end. It's just, it's business, man. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, they tried to, they're, they're good. A good label for bands that are radio friendly. Yeah. You know, and Leather Wolf, at the beginning, you know, we weren't that. You know, we weren't like an AM, FM radio type of band. We were more like a metal band and um, with a little bit of melody, you know. And so as we got on that label, we started kind of sort of just maybe, you know, just thinking a little bit more mainstream, you know. Hmm. I mean, this is my perception because, um, honestly, I didn't write any of that stuff. I, you know, that was basically a Carrie, Jeff, and Mike thing. Yeah. And um, uh, and they would come up with their parts, and then I might have an idea here and there, but I would just uh, sit with them after they had spent all day, you know, figuring some stuff out, you know, and mm -hmm. then just, just do my drum parts to it, you know? Yeah. So I just didn't, and I didn't really notice it, you know, back when we were doing it, you know? Dean did... Did, you said there that the label wanted like radio friendly ba ba music. I don't, they, they never, they never, they never asked for that. But if you look at their business and you look at their top selling acts, they're all, you know, radio acts. You too. Um, is you know, that, Robert Palmer, all, yeah. all those people. Did they? Did they offer then Kevin Beamish to you guys as a producer because Kevin was known for? working with Ario Speedwagon and bands of that ilk that had radio hits. Did you want to work with someone else? Um, well, we were young, man. We were like 21 or somewhere around there. So, uh, let's think here. We were like 22, 23. Um, 
we just didn't think about it. You know, we were just caught up in the, in the, I mean, at least me, I didn't, I didn't think about it. You'd have to ask those other guys personally, but, um, I just didn't think it was the right move. I mean, Kevin Beamish is a legendary dude. He's a super good producer. He's super good at, you know, vocals and this and that. But um, I wasn't the, the type of guy that wanted to go into pretty backup vocals, you know, all those harmonies, all that reverb. I, that wasn't my thing. You know, I was way more like a Tom Allen dude or freaking, you know. Yeah. I was, I was way more in that vein, but, you know, I just figured, hey, you know, these guys are running the business, so, you know, we just got to do what we're told, you know? Yeah, Dean, when I think of uh, Kevin Beamish and 80s acts, uh, a lot of loyal fans of bands like Y&T and Saxon, they're not a fan. They're not fans of the albums that Kevin did because, like Kevin did, "Contagious" by Y and T, and that got yeah. that got critically mauled when it came out. Personally, it's an album I love, but he also did "Crusader" with Saxon, and Saxon are a heavy metal band. They're part of the new wave of British heavy metal, and he definitely tried to get them more radio friendly when he did that record. So when it came to you guys, and then they off Kevin was producing. You kind of knew what sort of route that you guys were going to be pushed down. Well, we just learned, you know, at the end of the day, we learned, I mean, that's, that's at the, at the end of the day, all of that stuff led to, to Jeff and I and the world asylum vibe, you know, mm-hmm. you know, cause, uh, if we would have done the world asylum as the first island record, <sighs> there is no single, <laughs> there's no real MTV video. And so, who knows what would happen, you know? And Kevin Beamish is, he's that guy, you know? I mean, if, if you want to use him, I mean, look at the REO Speedwagon and stuff. It just went, it went over the top, you know? And, and really REO Speedwagon is killer. <laughs> yeah. You know, for that style of music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just that, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta be real, real critical on what direction you want to move. Do you want to be a vocal chorusy band? Uh, or do you want to be a musical aggressive band, you know? And, and if you're going to be a musical aggressive band, I would definitely, um, go a different direction. Hmm. Dean did. You know, did... I, I was talking to, um, who's the guy, what's his name? Um, Chris Sangridis. Chris Sangridis. Yeah. He passed away Dana a few years Lewis? ago. Chris Sangridis. Yeah, I, yeah. I interviewed him about four or five years ago. I spent two hours on the phone with him. He's a great guy. Yeah. So, uh, uh, we did some shows at, uh, Kiefer true. And then, um, I wanted to get a mix to put them out, you know? And, um, I knew a friend and he goes, well, why don't you talk to Chris? So, um, I, I talked to Chris and he mixed five songs and, and, um, he, he calls me and he goes, dude, I, I had no idea you guys were even on the planet. This stuff is killer. Cause I want to do your next record. I'm like, holy shit. You, the, 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 the painkiller dude likes leather wool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I'm just going, you know, this was, uh, all the, the, you know, we did kill and kill off the first record, which is pretty much heavy metal. And then we did spider. We did, uh, recalling and, just some other other stuff off the island stuff and i was just so blown away that you know one of my heroes and did some of the records that i just loved the earlier judas and after standing he was worked on he just was a man i was going this is gonna be cool and he wants to do a record with us i go man wouldn't it have been nice to get in that circle back in the freaking 80s you know 
Definitely. De- you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, and then, and then, and then he passes away. You know, and I'm just because when we were over in Europe in 2017, I was going to stop by and just go to a studio just to meet the guy. You know, it just didn't didn't pan out. You know. Yeah. I when I spoke to Chris, he just came across as a huge fan of music. Oh, dude, he's he's got no ego. He's just he really is. You know, you can just tell he just loves he loves music. Hmm. And he plays as well. Yeah, and he was just he 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 says, dude, I'm going to use all the drum samples from from Painkiller on it, and 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 I'm going, dude, how did you get that guitar tone? He goes, well, I just turned uh, uh, this particular head, it starts with an S, I forget what it was, on one, set up two room mics, and it just sounded killer. I'm like, wow, what a trip. Yeah, I love I love talking to producers. They're, like they always have some great stories as well. But D- Dean, yeah, so it was it was a bummer. You know, when he passed away, you know. Yeah, yeah. So Dean, when when you went in to to record Street Ready, how much pre production did you do with that with Kevin? Um, we did a bit, a little bit, not not a super lot. You know, Kevin was more of a vocal chorusy guy. You know. Yeah. So would, would and, um, you know, Jeff, Jeff, um, I mean, Carrie and Mikey were major, major contributors to that whole vibe of that record. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they really, you know, wanted to move in that direction. Okay. Okay. So did he want to change the lyrics? Did he want, like, did he want it to make it more poppy? Because he probably would have gone in with songs that were, I'm, I'm guessing from the demos, were probably a little bit heavier than what ended up on the well, record. To be, to be honest with you, dude, um, that would be a Mike Oliveri question because uh, he was in there doing vocals with Mikey, you know, and so I don't know exactly his role in, in what Mikey did or didn't do, you know? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I, I wasn't getting the vibe that uh, that he was trying to, he was trying to control all the words that were written and stuff. He would just make a suggestion here and there um, from what I understand about certain words and maybe certain melodies with Mikey, but Mikey, I think pretty much just did what what he wanted to do. Yeah. So can you remember how many songs you brought in for that record? I noticed there's 11, there's a 10 and then a Japanese bonus track. Did you write like 30 songs and then pick the best 10 or 11? No, I think what we wrote is what we 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 recorded. Okay. Or what they wrote is what they recorded. Okay. Tell me about going down to where did you record it? Nassau in the Bahamas. Yeah, 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 it's super cool because you get to go down there. You get a you get a um, you get a a room on the beach. You know, you get to hang out with Robert Palmer. You get a um, you get people feeding you and people taking care of your rooms and all that stuff. So it's really really relaxing. How the only have... problem about it is, is is the bugs. You know, me and me and Paul Carmen shared a room, and uh, <laughs> we would have to set these nets up so the bugs wouldn't come in and um, get on us as we were sleeping. You know, it just was it was funny, dude. <laughs> mm. How did you get work? So, how did you get work on there? Like you're down there, the weather's probably great. It's party central. Well, you just and... go in. You just go in. You set up and you you do your work. Okay. And you'll work till like five or six, or it just depends. Sometimes you get in the mode and you want to work till 10, you know, but normally, you know, it's like maybe 
like 10 o'clock to 6 o'clock or whatever. What, what did the, At least it was for me, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it took me, it probably took me three or four days to do my deal, you know? Yeah. Did did Kevin want you guys to play live or were all the tracks done separately? Oh, they were all done separately. Okay, so you, you I, I assume you were first then? Yeah, I was first. And then Paul, I think Paul was second. And then um, Jeff and Kerry and Mike did their thing. Usually it was Jeff and Kerry and uh, uh, Mikey would at the end after the vocals were done, he would go do his leads and do whatever harmonies he was doing on any parts he was doing, you know? I think that's how it worked. Because uh, on that particular record, uh, uh, me and Paul did our stuff and then and then we left. Okay. I was going to ask you that. Did you leave after doing your tracks or did you did you want to hang around for the rest of it? Um, well, me and Paul went on like a a one-week trip with some friends we met out there, you know, in the hybrid key, so you know, I mean, it's it's fun for a little bit, but you know, you got to get back to work, you know. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any good pa- stories with Robert Palmer? Um, that you can tell me. <laughs> uh, well, the way that I met Robert Palmer um, was I, I, I um, okay, uh, there was this 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 raft I saw way out on on the ocean, you know, like probably a mile and a half, maybe two miles out there. And, um, and this person I was with said, you know, this guy, that guy better get back in or cause once he gets past the reef, he ain't gonna be able to get back in. Uh, so I said, well, I'm a swimmer. I'm a water freaking polo player. So I'm going to just go out there and make sure he's cool. So I put my swim fins on, I swim out there and I, and I, and I, and I get to the guy, he's some black dude that, uh, is like the, the big cheese in his little community. And, um, and so I'm going, dude, what are you doing? He goes, well, I lost my paddle. And, um, and, 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 he, and he's got a little bottle of vodka and, and, and he's got pants and a shirt on. And I'm just going, well, what's your plan? He goes, I don't know. He goes, you want a drink? I go, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, 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 I take a couple shots of vodka and I say, I don't sweat it, dude. Um, and I, I grab the string on his little freaking um, raft and I just swim him in and we're just yakking. And he's telling me about his community and all this stuff and about Bahamas, you know, and it took about maybe 15, 20 to get him to shore. So I get to shore and there's an ambulance there and there's uh, all these people on the shore. And, uh, I guess it turned out to be a big deal, you know, which I didn't think about, you know, cause me and Paul were just sitting there on, on our balcony drinking margaritas, <laughs> you know? So, so while Robert Palmer walks up to me and goes, dude, you know, there's sharks out there. And I go, well, there's, I thought there's sharks everywhere, you know, in the ocean. He goes, you know, that's, that's pretty risky to go out there and, um, and, uh, you know, you might get bit. I go, ah, whatever, dude, you know, you know, I didn't get bit and this guy's okay. Everything's good. You know? So, so, so he goes, well, Hey, um, maybe, um, tonight you want to come and record some tracks for this, this project I'm working on. I said, okay, giddy up, dude. So from then on, I could go back in the, in the community, which is a bunch of black people, and every and I got to play basketball. Me and Carrie would go there and play basketball and and just you know mess around with the the community. And everyone was super cool, you know. So it was kind of cool getting into a different culture and just see how they live, you know. Mm-hmm. Nice. But it was funny, you know. Robert Palmer goes, "You shouldn't do that because you could die," you know. And, and I'm like, "Well, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't think about it, you know." Yeah, yeah. So when the album was recorded, you got Michael Wagner to mix it. Um, are you guys any saying that at all? 
Um, it, it was between um, the management and, and, and Island, you know, because Kevin Beamish did a, a, a test mix and I didn't like it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and at the end of the day, you know, all, all, none of us really liked how much reverb they added to it. And they, we didn't like that. It just didn't sound so powerful. You know, it was more of a, just kind of a pretty mix, you know, you know, but it, it, it was good, but it just wasn't the, what, we, we were more like a Judas type of thing. I, we like the Judas. We like the, you know, the, the rainbow, the, the Led Zeppelin ballsy kind of sound shit, you know? And so we, we're just like, okay, well, whatever. It, it is what it is. There's um, there's a lot of acts from back then, Dean, that say the same thing when it comes to the reverb. It was just the in thing at the time, and they just put it all over every album. Yeah. And what it does... Well, that's when it came to World Asylum, me and Jeff just said, you know, we just did a couple tests, test, test mix um, with certain people, and, and that's why we liked the Jacob guy, because it, it really sounded like metal. And me and Jeff were like, that's what we want. We want to have a metal record. Mm. Was um, was Kevin tough on you in the studio, getting the tracks done? Um, he was nice. He was sweet. I just don't think he was that impressed about, you know, me as a drummer, you know? Okay. What, what, what gave you but, that? Uh, he was nice. What gave you that impression? Um, I just, that's just how I felt about, about the whole thing. Okay. I felt that... Uh, you know, if at the end of the day he had his choice, he would rather be working with somebody else. Okay. Did, did he add samples and stuff to your drum tracks? I think he did. Okay. He didn't tell you then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wasn't there for the mixes, you know. They just put their own little thing there, and which makes sense to me, dude. Who wants fucking five people telling you five different things? You know, it just kind of ruins the vibe of getting catching your perception of the song, you know? Yeah, it's just sometimes you might, when you actually hear the mix, you can pick stuff up maybe and say, no, I didn't play it that way. No, I mean, it is what I, it is what I did. It's, it's how I played and it is what it is. You know, I mean, I don't really uh, like to go back and, and, you know, reanalyze it and insult anybody about what they did, you know, because at the end of the day, everyone did the best that they thought for the song, you know? Mm. That particular point in history, you know. Yeah, did you? So I just, I just do it, and then, um, and then I say okay, and I'm done with it. I move on. Hmm. Do you know did the other guys get on with Kevin, or was there any friction there? I didn't think there was any friction. Okay. Okay. You know, but at the end of the day, um, we've all—if we had it over to do it over again, we would have done it differently. Yeah. So. What would you, what song on that album did you want as the first single? Because I think they picked Hideaway as the first one. I I, I think I wanted Thunder. Thunder's on that record, right? Yeah, it's the first track on Song yeah, Two. Yeah. yeah, I um, I I that's someone I kind of really like the vocals. And I like the storyline. I thought it represented you know more of a core of what I thought was a commercial aspect of Leatherwolf. You know.
Mm, I thought they would have gone for this title track. No, I just wasn't, um, I mean, I just wasn't into that, um, the girly commercial simple stuff, you know? And there mm. was just something about I am the thunder, I am this, that just kind of stuck with me, you know, personally. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about shooting videos back then, Dean. How how ten- tenuous were they to do? Like, were they like, oh, we have to do a video? Were they like boring? Um, It's kind of cool to go into a, you know, a nice place with nice cameras and do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a video, man. It's, 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 it's cool. You know, it's just, uh, if I had it all to do over again, I just would have suggested a different song. Mm-hmm. So can you remember who you went out on tour with promoting street ready? I don't really remember, dude. Okay. Um, Did you do I think it? Was that wow? Or was that the first one? I don't know. Okay. Did you remember? Did you do, um, do you remember doing any shows in Europe on that? I don't remember, man. Honestly, I just don't remember. We just, I know that we didn't do what I wanted was to hook up with someone bigger and go out for a couple months and play in front of, you know, a lot of people under, you know, a bigger name act like accept or Judas or just somebody legit, you know? Yeah. That, that is, it was just basically a club thing. And every once in a while we would do a festival thing. Yeah. That, that is odd that that happened, that you didn't go with a bigger act. Um, well, uh, that's just the way it works, man. They you record a song if it catches on, then then they'll 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 you know usually got to buy onto tours. You got to get on, you know. Yeah, and it's got to make sense to the to everyone financially, and, and plus it's it's a family, dude. You know, everyone's got friends. Mm-hmm. True. You know, and we we're we're we're, we're extreme rookies and in, in, in even qualifying to you know get in anything. Hmm. It might be Dean that because of the label you were on they didn't really have any other metal acts to tag onto that were bigger than you. Because back then, when you look at all the, all the tours that went out, if you know, if you're on, if you're a small band on Electra, they might put you out with say Metallica or Motley Crue or someone like that. But with Island records, you didn't really have anybody that was a bit, well, maybe Anthrax, but other than that, there was really nobody else on the label that was a heavy metal band. Yeah. And I don't really think an Anthrax level thing would even really work, you know? Yeah, yeah. So j- just just to wrap it up, Dean, um, where would you rank that album in in the Letterwolf catalog? Street Ready. I know it's probably your your most well known record, but would it be your favorite one? Um, no, my favorite one would probably be um, the first record and um, and World Asylum. Okay. Um, I've always been more into into a little more aggressive music, you know. Mm-hmm. So, is it fair to say then that? And I've asked a lot of people this because I've been speaking to a lot of people about albums that came out around that around the same time as yours. Um, is it too simple a thing to say that grunge split up the band? No. Um, what's you know, I was a drinker and. Uh, I, you know, didn't have the best etiquette, you know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, I don't think that, um, that Mikey was really, uh, me and him were on the same team about things. And I think that, um, they wanted to move in a different direction and, and they believed that, um, you know, me and Paul out of the picture would just benefit them. Okay. 
And so I think that they just decided, uh, decided that that's just what they wanted to do, you know? And, and honestly, um, I didn't want to be making street ready records at the end of the day anyways, you know, and I didn't want to start playing grunge because that's what the way the market was going. So at the end of the day, dude, it, it benefited everybody. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate for my friends and my brothers that, that, that Hail Mary thing didn't fly, you know? I mean, I don't, I don't wish ill will on anybody. I mean, I would much rather see my friends succeed than, than, you know, run into, uh, you know, the dramas of relationships and, and not being able to, you know, fund your dream, you know? Hmm. It's, it's, Dean, you bring up something there that, that a lot of people have said to me when I've been talking to them about albums back then, nearly all of them say that it wasn't grunge that split the band up, that a lot, a lot of it is, uh, if they had to let the band be the band and left them alone, everything would have been fine. The no, the, it, it's the, it's the brotherhood. It just wasn't really, it just wasn't meant to be, mm -hmm. you know, at, at the end of the day, people didn't want to commit to the team. And it's just that simple. And that's just, uh, that's just the way things work, man. And so be it. Hmm. You know, we were all, you know, kids trying to grow up, trying to do the right thing, or at least what we thought was right. But at the end of the day, you know, the brotherhood wasn't that valuable. Yeah. It's just tough being in a band. I don't think people realize this. You just gotta, you know, you just gotta stick through things thick and thin. And you just gotta have solutions to conflicts and make sure that the, at the end of the day, that the relationships are the most important thing about music, mm. not the song. Yeah. Dean, a lot of that stuff from back then, it's, is it out of print now? Yeah. Yes, it is. And have you except for the live record and except for uh, uh, the first record, because um, I just got the rights back from Mark Avenet and except for World Asylum. I, was, um, I still have those. I was going to ask you about, I mean, had you tried to get the rights back to it and maybe do something with it? It's just too expensive dealing with Island about those two records. Fortunately, Mark Avenet is a nice guy and he just, you know, uh, we worked out a deal and, and, and got it back from him, you know, so, so, so at least we got those rights back, which is super cool, which rarely ever happens anyways, you know? Mm, I'm sure if you got street ready back, you might try and remix it maybe. Well, I mean, I thought about that stuff, but you know, it's a classic, it's classic just the way it is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you, you can always do this, you can do that, but it is what it is and let it be what it was, you know? Well, you could re-record it. I don't know, dude. I'd rather write new songs than go back there and, and, and do that stuff, you know? I mean, we, we did re-recording some stuff live of, of those songs, but it's it's yesterday, baby. Mm-hmm. To me, yeah. you know, today's today and yesterday's then was then, you know? Yeah. So, Dean, I'm going to leave you get back to work. Okay, dude, and um, I just want to thank everyone, you know, for still sticking with the team, you know, the pack, and hopefully, you know, we can still keep delivering, you know. Hopefully, yeah. everything will work good, and everything will be good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, the new single's great, Dean. I love it. Well, thank you very much. All right, so have a good rest of the day, and thanks for talking to me. Okay, cool, buddy. Right, thank take, you. Take care. Bye. Bye.
figured I would wrap it up with another song that Richie had mentioned to Dean back in the interview off of Street Ready called The Way That I Feel. So I know for the past couple weeks, uh, what I originally had planned to do never really happened, but uh, Richie thinks that he's actually going to be able to break free and get down to the studio in the next couple of days so that we can at least round out November into December with uh, the thing I wanted to actually start November off with. But again, both of us have been busy as hell. It has definitely been crazy, but I uh, think he's going to be able to make it happen. So we will see. But in the meantime, a big thanks once again to Dean Roberts for taking a crap load of time. The guy was literally just rolling his butt out of bed when he got on the phone with Richie and uh, definitely was uh, really searching for uh, some coffee at the beginning of that puppy. And if you want to find out more about what is going on with Leatherwolf, you can head up to leatherwolfmetal.com. You can also find them on Facebook, facebook.com slash leatherwolfmetal. They are also on YouTube with the Leatherwolf TV channel and on Twitter at twitter.com slash triple axe attack and uh, as i said you know leatherwolfmetal.com all kinds of good stuff up there you can get your news get the discography they're talking all about the live dates they get the live date schedule that is up there as well and you can also get your uh, leather wolf merch so good stuff there as well you can get uh, you know all the albums up there and anything else you may want to get your whole leather wolf fix going on and speaking of getting your fix if you want to get your sound of thunder fix yep bringing it all the way back to the beginning of the show now you can go to a sound of and that's where you can get all of your sound of thunder news merch all that good stuff but of course the merch i really want to talk about once again gonna hammer it home brand new 10th anniversary of sound of thunder album parallel eternity and the uh, kickstarter campaign wraps up on november 25th so uh if you're as big of a Sound of Thunder fan as I am, I urge you again, throw your support. Even if by the time this show airs, they've actually hit their goal and they're going for the stretch goals. They've got some great stretch goals as well. So great band to support. I urge you to go up to Kickstarter, search out a Sound of Thunder and the Parallel Eternity campaign. I mean, come on. This is a band to not be stopped because their lead singer, Nina, back on July 4th, she got into a major accident. And we're talking about like shattered pelvis, the whole thing. And here she is now back in action, singing her ass off to a killer new orchestral Sound of Thunder album. It can't get any more metal than that, and uh, they always like to joke about it, the fact that now Nina is literally full of metal as well. But anyways, that's it for this week. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here hanging out at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great middle week, and as always, remember... Go home.